Hi, everybody. It's nice and toasty here. I've been over at the sale barn over there. Had a good time. I really did. And uh, like I said, I preached the best sermon over there, so you're just going to get the leftovers here. No, of course not. I do want to say something. Oh, sorry. Uh, but I do want to say something before I begin my sermon. Um, you know, my brother-in-law, Danny Gold, uh, he was actually one of the founders of this church here. And he made up a nice little statement that I really liked when he told me about it. And it's true. And I want to add something to it. But, you know, I hope Danny doesn't hold it against me if I do. But he said, if you like church, you're going to like cowboy church. If you don't like church, you're going to love cowboy church. And I, I had this, if you love church, you're really going to love cowboy church. You see, Jesus, he changed my life. And it was partly the churches that did it, the church that did it, people that invested in me. And I made some of the best friends I ever had in church. And I, I love it. And even because God dwells in us, we ought to love it too because the Bible says so. He gave his own blood for the church. So anyway, I loved, and I told Danny, I was talking to him about how much I like the Sac River Cowboy Church. Sock River, Sock River, Sock River, Sock River. Over, over. I'm trying, I'm trying. I'm new here. But uh, I told Danny how much I liked it. And he goes, well, and I said, I've been inviting everybody. And this isn't being recorded, right? Because i got to be careful what I say, who I've been inviting. <laughs> but I said, I've been inviting everybody. He goes, well, I invited everybody until I didn't have anybody else left to invite. And it's true. This cowboy church has it, and I really like it, and I just want to say also how thankful I am for you, how gracious you've all been to me and friendly, and me, me and my wife. And I don't know if you know this or not, but I'm on staff now, so I'm paid. So, What happened? Why did this happen anyway? Um, so I want to invite you to find your copy of God's Word, if you brought it. If you didn't, I'll do my best to read it clearly for you. But I'm going to be looking in Psalm 112 today. The Psalm 112, the author is unknown on this psalm, but has 22 lines, I think 10 verses of Scripture, and it's an acrostic poem. And uh, actually, if you're going to study these two after the sermon today, you'll want to look at Psalm 111, 111 also, because they kind of go together. But we're looking at Psalm 112. The title of the message is A God-Fearing Life, A God-Fearing Life. You heard the statement or the phrase, a God-fearer. You've probably heard that before. Once you get there, look up here. I have something I'd like to tell you. Whenever uh, I got in the Ozark, that's where I was preaching, and, and there's a store right across down the road called Murphy's. Well, it was called Murphy's. It's called Apple Market now. So we call it Murphy's Apple Market. <laughs> and after church, I would go there. We'd start going there, and I'd get fried chicken. I mean, I've got to keep up the preacher thing going. I'd get me a big old breast of the, not the spicy, the other kind, whatever it was, country style. And I, I started mentioning that out of the pulpit. I shouldn't have done that. Because what happened is, all the church people ran over there and got to kick the chicken. And then I'd show up there and it was all gone. And I'd have to wait 15 minutes for them to cook another, that's how long it takes. And I'd, I'd get it, I'm going to get my chicken and uh, anyway, so I was standing there one, this is a true story, I mean, and I'm not judging people. I'm not doing that. I'm not, uh-uh. I mean, uh, that's not my job. I'm not going to go out and judge people. But I observe, I was observing. And something I really believe with all my heart is, is when you know Jesus and you're following Him and He lives in you, 
then you have that compassion of Christ dwelling in you. And that's why when we see hurting people, we hurt for them. The, the word compassion actually means that you hurt in your gut, deep down in your gut. Have you ever had a loved one that's been seriously hurt? You, you hurt in your gut. And so we carry that compassion with us as we go. And I'm standing there waiting for my chicken, and I'm observing, and I start feeling for the people that I'm seeing. Because I can tell in my heart that they're not churchgoers and likely not God-fearers. And what's happened, what's happened to them could happen to us too. What's happened is they've fallen into what I want to call indifference. They could take or leave, take or leave church. They're kind of indifferent. Now, you know, if, if I really need God, I'll pull my Bible out and maybe read a scripture verse or I'll say a prayer. But ultimately, they've fallen into a pattern of indifference. And I want to explain to you what indifference is. There was a fellow, that, an author, a very renowned author, became American citizen. His name was Elie Weissel. He wrote 40-some books. One of his most famous books was called Night. And he was a Holocaust survivor. The Holocaust really happened, by the way. And he was a survivor of it. And one thing he noticed was that people would say that the opposite of love is hate. But he learned that's not right. Because the Nazis really didn't hate him. They just didn't care about him. They were just doing their job. They were indifferent towards the plight of the Jews. Indifferent. Couldn't care. Care less. I think one of the sad, maybe, realities that we're seeing in our country, or in other countries too, is that this indifference gives birth to people turning away from God and going their own way, living their own lives, becoming selfish, self-centered, indifferent towards how you feel or, how, or caring towards you. And this is a trend. Now, can we fall into indifference? I think so. This year, I want, for me, I want to really be a true, genuine God-fearer. Now, what does that mean? What does it God-fearing mean? Well, you, you're, uh, by the way, I just want to pause it. I did this uh, in the second service. I'm not trying to butter anybody up or anything, but I think Larry Whiteley and his wife, they're unsung hero. Give them a round of applause. That's what I said. Because I really appreciated his insight this morning on Noah. And Noah actually demonstrated a godly fear. If, uh, the Bible says this in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. So he was a God-fearer. Why? Because he, was walking, he had a history of walking with God. He had a history of hearing from God. And he had a history of doing what God's Word said. He obeyed God. By the way, that's a form of love, obeying. I don't know about you, but I, I obeyed my dad. I, sometimes I was forced to do it. But I loved dad. I love my dad. I was blessed to have one for 16 years, and he died when he was only 44. But I did love him, and I obeyed him. Would Mark do this? Yeah, okay, Dad. Mark, do that. No. <laughs> hey, by the way, I grew up in the era of the backhand. I don't know about you, but Dad wasn't indifferent when it came to discipline. But the, what's the fear of God? Noah did everything just as God had commanded him. 
He was a person that believed and trusted in God's Word and put it into practice. Lord, don't let us be indifferent. Now, let me ask this, answer this question. Why be a God-fearer? Somebody that really trusts God, holds Him in high esteem, reverences Him, is in awe of Him. I am so blessed. I'm going on the rabbit trail, so maybe I better put my finger down to, so I know where I'm at. Okay, because I'm getting older and I forget. What was I going to talk about? Oh, yeah. Just going outside this morning. Uh, my, my beloved bride loves to feed the birds. And to morning, this morning we had to get out of the house early. So I went out and I took care of that. And was, came in and the second I looked back out, there's all these birds out there. Look at all of them. It's God's creation. And He created so marvelous, amazing. How'd they find that food so fast? God's creation is amazing. Why be a God-fearer? Because you, the Bible tells us over and over and over, you'll be blessed if you are. Now, automatically we think about being blessed as a financial thing, no problems. That's not what it really means. It's a contentment deep in your heart, all the way down to the depths of your soul. You're content. You're satisfied. God is good. He cares for me. I'm content. But also, the duck commander, Phil Robertson, who was, by the way, a great football player. I don't know if you knew that or not. But uh, he, said, he would always say, happy, happy, happy. You, you familiar with that? The word blessed in the Bible, that's what it means. Happy, happy, happy is the man who fears the Lord. Happy, happy, happy. So, that's why you ought to be a God-fearer. Because you will find contentment. Instead of being all up all the time, so easily swayed by worry or fear, the, the breaking news that comes on the TV, but we'll be content and assured and confident in our Lord Jesus and the wonderful promise of Emmanuel. Okay, so let me move along. How? How? And the Psalm here, 112, answers the question. I simply just need to read it. I may stop and make a comment. That could happen. When I do that, put your finger there so you don't lose your place. And then I'm going to come back to verse 1 and expound a little bit on how we can really take this and put it into practice in our daily lives. Being God-fearers. Not being indifferent towards the Word of God and the person of God. All right? I'm excited about it. Okay, so here we are. Psalm 112. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who finds great delight in His commands. His children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house. Isn't that a fact for Americans? And his righteousness endures forever. Even in darkness, light dawns for the upright, for the gracious and compassionate and righteous man. Good will come to him who is generous and lends freely, who conducts his affairs with justice. Surely he will never be shaken. A righteous man will be remembered forever. He will have no fear of bad news. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is secure. He will have no fear. In the end, he will look in triumph on his foes. He has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn will be lifted up high. Uh, pardon me. His horn will be lifted high in honor. What that means is he'll be distinguished. He'll stand out. 
be a standout because he's a God-fearer. Verse 10. The wicked man will see and be vexed. He will gnash his teeth and waste away. The longings of the wicked will come to nothing. The God-fearer claims victory in life. The God-fearer finds blessings in life. The God-fearer honors God, cares about people, demonstrates real love towards God and his neighbor. Now let me just talk a little bit about verse 1 where it says, Praise the Lord and how to be a God-fearer. And again, what does it mean we can add to that? But praise the Lord right there in the original language is hallelujah. There was a TV preacher and he used to go, hallelujah. You could ask my wife. I'd walk around pretend I was him. He said, I didn't like him. That's all. I, I just didn't like him. You know, hallelujah. But really, the hallel means to boast in. That's to praise to boast in Him like we were doing this morning, singing the songs. We're praising Him. We're boasting in Him. I talked this morning about how in, in my neighborhood, coming up, you better know how to fight. That's the way it was in my day. You, you, you would get in a fight. I remember fighting Billy Cunningham over what state was bigger, Illinois or Texas. At that time, it was Illinois, and I tell you, I'll fight for that. But now Texas is bigger. And I, we would always we might fi- finish the fight saying, "My dad can whip your dad." I always wondered how my dad felt about me get, fixing him up for a fight the end of the day. But my dad, my heavenly father, my Abba Father, Jesus calls him Abba Father. We could call him Daddy Father. Man, he can whip anything or anybody. I like that. I like that. My God is so big. Hallelujah. Now, the important part of this is the first thing, the first answer I want to give to this is not only boasting in the Lord, but it's your personal relationship with God. That's how you become a God-fearer, in your personal relationship. Hallel, to praise, to boast, to flash, to shine. In the second service, I said flash, and they go, what's he talking about? But to really shine for Jesus. But the Yah, hallelujah, that's God's personal name. It's like when I, I'm trying to, I've been shaking a lot of hands and try, I really value people and their names. I do. And I'm going to try to learn your names. It's going to take a long time because I'll probably forget nine of them. Maybe I'll remember one. I got Jim Brown down. Got that name down today. <sighs> But the Yah, the personal relationship, knowing that the names of God, Yah, Yahweh, I am that I am. Praise the Lord. The personal relationship, boasting that we know Him. I want you to listen to this section of Scripture. It's Jeremiah 9, 24. But let him who boasts about this, boast about, let him who boasts, boast about this, that he knows and understands me, that I am the Lord. And exercise loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth. Now listen to this. For in these, God's saying this, for in these that know Him, that understand Him, they're seeking out His Scriptures, they're wanting to know more about God, that know His loving kindness, that's that's the word for mercy. And you know that God has demonstrated mercy towards you because you were such a horrible sinner, Mark Zimmerman. But He sent Jesus to die for my sins that in Him I may have life and have it more full. 
the wonderful justice that he, he's going to exact justice one day. And the righteousness. And then he says, for in these I delight. When you boast in God, he is delighting in you. He said, wow, that's my child. I'm so proud of them. They're delighting in me. And when I delight in God, He delights in me. When He delights in me, I delight in Him. It's an eternal picture of relationship. Our personal relationship with the God of all creation. You're doing it here when you come to church, when you sing to Him, when you go to prayer. Personal relationship. When you go outside, however you can really sense that you're with God. Me, it's outdoors. David, the one that slew Goliath. What a great story that is. 1 Samuel chapter 17. David said this in Psalm 18 and 1 Samuel 22. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. He's boasting, right? He's boasting. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. So he's likening God to a rock. You know who else did that? Jesus. Did you know that? Now, here's the second thing. We see it in the scripture here. Look in verse 1. Praise the Lord. Go around saying, Hallelujah! I'll still like you. I don't care. Blessed is the man, the person that fears the Lord. And then it goes here, who finds great delight. It's so important that word finds. Scriptures, there's some translations don't have it, but the implication is there that we're seeking our lives. We're building our own little sandcastles. And Jesus says, well, the foolish man builds his house on the sand, builds a sandcastle. And the rains came down and the streams come up and the winds blow against it and it fell with a great crash. But yet we see, we're going to seek God's Word. In 2022, I'm going to seek God's Word. I'm going to get my Bible out, and I'm going to start a daily reading thing, whatever it is. If it's one verse, it's one verse. If it's one chapter, it's one chapter. Don't overdose yourself, because what will happen, you'll be reading along. What did I say? What was I reading? Have you ever done that before? Reading your Bible? What was I reading? Don't do that. Just read, but start seeking that Word of God, because then when the crisis comes or the difficulty comes then you'll know where to go because you've been building on the Lord and you have that personal relationship. And then let me just add that personal pursuit. It's all about your relationship with God. Well, finally, on the, I've had so many ideas going through my head and what to share with you in the sermon. And I've been so blessed um, in the first and second services and this one too with how God is so faithful. The David, you know, I, I thought about it. I might have mentioned this. I'm getting mixed up if I've said this or not. But uh, because they say it's time to retire when you start repeating yourself out of the pulpit. I just, uh, two days back in full-time ministry, right? Lord, help me. But uh, I was talking about David when uh, he boasted in the Lord in that beautiful chapter 17 of 1 Samuel. And David, he was ruddy. The Bible says he's ruddy. That's red, kind of reddish, red hair. And good looking. And I think he was strong too. Because when he came out against Goliath, Goliath said, What's this 
dog, this Israelite dog going to do to me? <laughs> and I picture Goliath, nine feet, six inches tall, big old fellow. That he, I think he's got a spear as big as a telephone pole. I've always thought that. And da- David says, uh, how dare you defy the armies of the living God? David went out in front of everybody because he really, he boasted in the Lord and he'd been building on the Lord, been trusting in the Lord because he was able to deliver the lambs or uh, that had been uh, abducted by the bear and the lions. He trusted in the Lord, trusted in the Lord's word. And I think he was strong because when he cut off Goliath's head, that had to be a huge head. I mean, that'd be, I know it's kind of a gory picture, but it's true. He's holding by the greasy hair. It's gross. And if you get anything out of the sermon, that's what you got. <laughs> Lord. I was, t- I was talking about, uh, last week I was at a church and uh, preaching my last pulpit supply. And I talked about team roping. That's my favorite sport in rodeo. And when I came down from there, talking about it, using it as an illustration, which I may do someday, uh, came down from That's all they could talk about was my illustration about team roping. Couldn't talk about what I was... Anyway, so I... Get... But David... Don't, his life wasn't perfect. He made a lot of mistakes after that. And he suffered the consequences of them. But God still ordained him and set him apart as the king. David still was the apple of God's eye. King Saul was still in power, was hunting Dave down, David down, wanting to kill him. David was living with the Philistines. They finally gave him the boot because they didn't trust him. He didn't have any place to go. Except for he went to a town called Ziklag. It's the last day I get to say this, honey. I really like saying that. Ziklag. By the way, the 10 o'clock group said that they were willing to participate in any type of fun things I had to do during the sermon. So if they're going to do it, then you guys have to do it. But I'm not going to make you say Ziklag right now, but I'm thinking about it. Is my time up? Is that... Okay, anyway, so, so here's the deal. David and his guys, 600 of them, are out, and they ride horses. These are some of the finest horsemen ever, and they're out doing whatever they are, and then they come back into Ziklag, and they find out that nobody's there. It's smoldering ruins. The Amalekites had come in, swept in, took all their goods, all their stuff, took their wives and their children. They didn't kill them. They took them. They abducted them. David had two wives at that time, and... Uh, Let's see, Abigail, and I can't remember the other one anyway. So, uh, but anyway, so the other 599 horse people, guys, they were all talking about what we're going to do. David was the cause of this. Let's stone him. Word got back to David that these people were going to stone him, and that had to be a painful way to go. What did David do when he heard that? Did he get mad and say, you're not going to stone me. I killed Goliath. Did he try to politic his way to save? Did he sneak out at night? No. You know what David did? He was a God-fearer. Yeah, he made a lot of mistakes. But God loved him. He was the kind that boasted in the Lord and built on the Lord. And you know what he did? I bet some of you do. I believe it's found in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6. David found strength in the Lord his God. David found strength in the Lord his God. And then they got on their horses and they rode after those Amalekites and they whooped them. 
and got their kids and their wives back. Friends, all I, this is for me, this sermon. I don't know you all that well, and I just, uh, I will, and I'll begin to seek the Lord on behalf of Him and you as I get opportunity to preach, which right now is Thursday nights. And so I expect to see all of you there. Um, and uh, I've already been picking on the other people too, so. Hey, I got nothing to lose. I'm interim. <laughs> what about being a God-fearer? Watch out for being indifferent. As I was driving over here, I was thinking that I could be indifferent sometimes towards my spouse. I can be indifferent sometimes towards my kids. Just not caring, not really caring. It's all about me and, and what I want to do. The world can be changed. The church wins. It's unstoppable. Sock River has what I call it. You have it. It's hard to put your finger on what it is, but you have it. So, let's be God-fearers. Will you join me in prayer? Father, I'm so privileged and glad that I can come before you person like me. I'm so thankful that you've been so good to have blessed each and every one of us with a a gift, a way to serve. Father, I thank you for this facility here. I thank you for the faithfulness of the folks that are here. I thank you that you have loved each person so wonderfully. Without any partiality, you love You've never been indifferent towards us, ever. You've called us and called us and called us, forgiven us and forgiven us and continue to forgive us, continue to watch over us and guide us. There are no words to express how good you are. Now, Father, I pray for the coming year that that we'll be God-fearers and that we will see the church advance, rise up like a mighty force that you've designed it to be with our Lord Jesus at the head of it. In his name I pray. Amen.